All right, Karen, just one more time. Just do it right, and then we can move on. I'll defrag your hard drives. I'll do whatever you want. Just do it right, okay? Gosh. And the four, five, six. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? I'm stuck here in this lair. What's this? The operator sucks. I can't stop screaming. Come back, Jack. This isn't fair. That cuts. That cuts real deep, Karen. New transmission from Mr. Luna. Yeah, just play it. Let's listen to it, because you and I both know this was never going to work. Play transmission. Phantoms hunt a six-year-old, Boulder, Colorado girl, the night of Christmas, 1996. She will be dead by morning, but JonBenet Ramsey is destined to haunt the world forever. Or at least until people stop caring about what happened to a tiny beauty queen in the safety of her home on this most sacred of days, which is highly unlikely. Her photos, most glamour shots depicting a little beauty with dyed blonde hair, a spray tan, full makeup and an outfit that would make any deviant a little flustered are just too spectacular to fade away. Her demise and the circumstances surrounding it far too compelling. For the moment, she's alive. It's difficult to tell if Jean Benet is indeed sleeping as her parents and brother claim, or if she is awake somewhere in her father's mansion, maybe enjoying the piece of pineapple later found stalled en route to her stomach. It's hard to say anything for certain about what happened here, but it's clear that this little girl had many potential suitors in line to take her life, to freeze her in time. It seems for all of this home's splendor and aura of tranquility, there were wolves behind every bush, slender shadows stooping and stretching to peer in every window. Jean Bonnet was in terrible danger, it seems, as she played in her yard on Christmas Eve, if these outside threats would be taken seriously. It's a wonder, considering how many deviants allegedly had their eye on her, that she wasn't taken sooner, that the voracious beast whom finally pounced chose to do it in the home with the parents nearby, a brother to boot. Three potential obstacles to avoid or traverse before claiming the prize that lay in a room surrounded by prizes, twinkling trophies, sparkling tiaras. How stealthy, how motivated this beast must have been. And then to pause and write a two and a half page letter, a ransom note demanding a measly sum considering the father's wealth. A letter composed on the mother's stationery, no less. Gutsy. A plan created on the fly, it seems. How reckless. Yet they still got the girl. They managed to keep her quiet until her head was caved in and her life was sealed shut by a garage. Again, one of the mother's belongings is used here. A broken paintbrush handle. Incredible that such a high-stakes crime would be performed in this way. I can only imagine how this perpetrator would go about masterminding a bank heist. Stroll in midday and grab a janitor's broom to use as a jousting spear, perhaps. Empty a garbage can and demand it be filled with gold bars, then borrow a frightened customer's phone to call a cab. That's about how this alleged kidnapping attempt played out. And in the end, whoever did this didn't even get the girl. They left her in a heap in the basement. A spot where she'd eventually be discovered by her father, hours after her mother made a weird 911 call. Hours after friends arrived to find said mother wearing the same clothes she'd worn on Christmas Day, 
Hours after the first head-scratching detective arrived, she would be found by her father, whom, like a man who just recalled where he left his wallet, headed quickly to the basement in bloodhound-esque style and retrieved his dead daughter from a back room. He did it as soon as the authorities suggested the house be searched top to bottom. He did it, he did it. almost as if he were retrieving a last-minute surprise Christmas gift. Hell, she even ended up underneath the tree. End of transmission. Welcome to Crime Machine, episode 005. Let's climb aboard, shall we? Somebody sure can keep a secret. So who? Was it an inside job as many vehemently claim? I don't know, you don't know. But if it was, there are a few theories as to how that would have come to be. Let's take a look through one of those windows. I'll just extend my wispy frame, cut my hands to reduce the glare of these Christmas lights. There. Okay, so the brother, nine-year-old Burke, is at the table eating pineapples and milk on this late Christmas evening. A strange combination, but hey, Burke's a strange little man. Quiet when he's not being loud. His little sister sure does garner a lot of attention. Too much, some suspect. A housekeeper will later claim that Burke once took a grapefruit-sized shit in John Bonet's room, in fact. Maybe as a way to express his disdain for his sister. Maybe he just couldn't make it to the toilet on that occasion. Who knows? I don't. You know. But we do know this. That at this time on December 25th of 1996, Jean Bonnet is allegedly fast asleep. Okay, so we don't know shit. Other than what we've been told by the Ramses. So I'll just continue imagining here as I stroll through the yard surrounding their home, peeking in windows. Jean Bonnet had allegedly dozed off in the car after a visit with family friends, and her father had carried her to her room. The Ramses will forever deny that Jean Bonnet got up for any reason, even though a piece of pineapple will later be found to have been consumed by her soon before she was killed. Pineapple that maybe she teethed from Brother Burke's bowl, much to his outrage. Outrage that maybe caused him to grab a nearby flashlight, and before he could think twice, he'd smashed his fleeing sister over the head with it. JonBenet goes down instantly. Her skull caved in slightly. Her brain soon dead from the damage. There is no blood. The skull simply craters beneath the skin, and though she's still breathing, she will never be the same. Burke calls for help, perhaps. Mother Patsy, still dressed up from the party, won't get a chance to change tonight. She'll still be dressed like this tomorrow afternoon, in fact, though her makeup will be touched up. Patsy maybe calls John in to assess the damage and they all stand around Jean Bonnet's near corpse, repeating over and over pleas to God for help on doing this. Maybe. Burke, if this is true, likely is frozen by the moment. It was a mistake. Why can't it just be a mistake? Then his parents make a decision, maybe, 
a decision that in their minds will protect the remaining child and, maybe more importantly, protect their reputations. Maybe even improve them if they can fool the world into thinking an intruder was responsible for this this travesty, but who would believe an intruder would simply bash their daughter over the head then leave? What would be the point in that? Why would an intruder come for their daughter? Money. A ransom note then. Patsy maybe runs to grab her stationery and gets to work writing. John maybe takes to grooming his son, repeating the story over and over until the child is exhausted by its repetition. Chabonet was in bed. We got home and Dad carried her straight to bed. Then I went to bed. And that's it. Everything else is how it will be. I went to bed. She was already in bed. Good night, son. Good night, Dad. Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe. Allegedly. I don't know. You don't know. But if so, what if how the body was found? Found with indication Jean Benet had been sexually abused. Found with duct tape over her mouth. Duct tape that the coroner deduced was applied post-mortem. Found with a garrote wrapped extremely tight about her neck. This being the ultimate cause of death. Found with her hands loosely tied. Oh God. Have you seen the crime scene photos? The autopsy photos? If the answer is no, then keep it that way. What about all this extra horror? Could it just be for good measure? Good measure on a story made up by two desperate parents looking to protect their son. Did John Ramsey slip when asked how one survives the death of their child? Two in John's case, thanks to a car accident that claimed another daughter of his years ago. How do you go on, John? Was the question. Well, John says, you survive first because you have other children who need you to survive. Patsy quickly steps in and changes the subject. Too close, perhaps. Too close to the real answers, maybe. A big part of me hopes so. I hope the things that happened to Jean Benet occurred after she was knocked unconscious, in an attempt to protect what the family had left. I hope Jean Benet's last moments were spent running away from some bit of fun, some bit of mischief. I hope it's just an innocent accident that turned into a nightmare scene by design, and not what the parents claim happened that an intruder entered their home in the night and took Jambonet downstairs to have his horrific way with her. An intruder. Well, we might as well take a look in a couple of those windows to see what's what. There's a broken one to the basement here, but you see the cobweb. It's been that way for some time, obviously. Unlikely someone could have climbed in without disturbing the web. Somebody, somewhere, has a tangled, dusty web of their own that consists of the truth. Though the majority of intruder suspects are dead, so maybe we'll never unweave this tangled up thing. Maybe we should just leave the poor girl and her family be. Maybe. For sure we should. For the love of God, we can't let her go for some reason. She just keeps on smiling at us with those bright eyes and shiny teeth. Those veneers? Every year around this time. She consistently haunts the season. Well, to be fair, we ask her to. There are thousands of missing kids. Piles of little girls murdered without justice. But Jean Benet seems to be the one we can't let go. And like with anything compelling or 
worth fixating upon, it's because the circumstances surrounding her death were so unique. A six-year-old, a kindergartner who was consistently dressed up like a showgirl, routinely objectified to win trophies for her mother. A six-year-old girl whom by all accounts was absolutely brimming with charisma and charm, and as a result had grown men fascinated, obsessed with her. When you look at it from that angle, it could be any pervert from the time, any hidden pervert. Grab any man Jean Benet locked eyes with and you have a suspect. Her parents threw near all of their friends into question once the heat turned up under their butts. Is this your handwriting, Miss Ramsey? Um, I'm supposed it's possible. Do you recognize anyone in this photo? Um, I don't, maybe that's Jean Benet? Come on, lady, it's Jean Benet, your daughter. And yeah, that's your handwriting under her photo. And yes, your writing looks very similar to that on the ransom note. I mean, we're not saying you did it or that you're lying. But wait, no, we, we are saying you're lying. Because if you can't admit that that ransom note has cues that look like eights, just the way you do them, or that there are 200 plus similarities in your writing style to the words in this ransom note, then we're going to have to assume you're the deceptive type. Or just dumb. And you're not dumb, Miss Ramsey. Patsy Ramsey denies, denies, denies. Denies Jean Benet ate any pineapple before bed, she was asleep. Denies it's a little odd that she, the immaculate Patsy Ramsey, was wearing the same clothing from Christmas Day on Boxing Day when Jean Benet was discovered dead in the home. Looks, appearances, are paramount in high society, are they not? Miss Ramsey? Patsy is cornered. She begins yelling at her accusers looks to her husband for fresh dialogue when her own begins to fray. And suddenly the housekeepers have been acting funny. John's close friends are now morphed into potential child killers. Local pedophiles are scrutinized as they should have been. A boot print in the basement, widely considered to be that of a degenerate named Michael Helgoth, who would commit suicide after the DA announced that a list of suspects was coming into focus, is pointed to. Helgoth's boot was a common make in the area, however, and this crime scene had been tromped through by an embarrassing number of investigators and visitors, some who took the time to clean off counters, helping out the distressed Miss Ramsey in her time of need, cleaning up the crime scene for them. Everywhere, it seemed, was a suspect. Even Santa Claus. He didn't do it, Santa Claus. Did he? Again, who knows? But boy, did a man named Bill McReynolds do a number on St. Nick's reputation in this instance. Bill McReynolds, a.k.a. Santa Bill, should have known better than to get so emotionally invested with someone else's child. But Jean Benet was special. Bill, who had been hired by the Ramses to be Santa at their 95 party and again in this fateful year of 1996, felt a connection with the little girl. She had been the only child to ever offer him a present as Santa. A vial of gold glitter. Once last year and again just before her... Her, well, it's uh, hard for Santa Bill to even think of what happened to Jean Benet. Hard to believe she is even gone. 
Investigators are hounding him because of some eerie parallels that Bill can only deduce as signs that he and the child are indeed somehow spiritually bound. He can still feel her. She will forever be alive in his heart. Santa Bill is a suspect. Mainly because of an incident that happened a couple of decades back. Yes, yes, he has to admit that it's odd that his own daughter too was kidnapped the day after Christmas. Uh, two decades ago, 1974. Not harmed to the extreme level as Jean Benet, sure, but still, he can relate to the despair leading up to when John Ramsey discovered his little girl in a far corner of the basement. Body wrapped tight in a blankie. Neck wrapped even tighter with a horrible excuse for a bow. And yes, he must admit it sounds odd that he promised Jean Benet a special gift after Christmas from Santa or that his wife had once written a story that featured a moment where a girl was molested then killed in a basement. It's sad. But he and his wife, like the Ramses, claim that there is absolutely no way they could have ever harmed sweet little Jean Benet. They point to the fact that around three dozen registered sex offenders had lived within two miles of the Ramsey home, that there had been break-ins, hundreds of them in the area during year 1996, and soon, this case seems to be in the hands of the court of public opinion. The community quickly begins slamming its doors in the faces of reporters. Said doors are locked, windows too, and eventually the circus and news crews disperse. Reluctantly, mind you, like jackals scared off from a partially consumed carcass. They will be back to pick at it, though. Nobody surrounding the incident seems to even want to talk about this spectacle these days. The days you live in, I mean. Me, I'm still here. I'm at JonBenet's funeral, in fact, at the moment. It seems rather possible that whoever is responsible may have decided to attend the funeral been required to even but like the initial crime scene there are too many people here every conversation that I strained over here is useless speculation muddying the waters the truth being tromped on with every new theory scattered like the evidence of the initial unsecured crime scene contaminated like the body of Jean Benet when her father found her picked her up and laid her down in the highest traffic spot of the house before an investigator picked her up and placed her under the Christmas tree like a special gift delivered after Christmas. Outside of the service, Bill McReynolds approaches Jean Benet's mother. Patsy Ramsey looks up, appearing a little drugged, maybe just exhausted, and accepts a gift from Santa Bill. It's a vial of gold glitter. One of the two that Jean Benet so thoughtfully gifted him over the last two years. He will keep the other one, keep it until his death, which, unbeknownst to Bill, isn't too far off. The plan is to mix the glitter in with his ashes, so a part of Jean Benet will always be with him. He doesn't share this odd, maybe disturbing, maybe sweet intention with Patsy, only hands her the familiar little bottle of glitter and smiles painfully. Patsy Ramsey has only a quiver of her lips to offer back, but as Bill retreats without a word, she appears to compose herself and is heard calling out a query to the broken old man. Will Santa be at next year's Christmas party? 
Crime Machine is a new breed of true crime podcast, researched, written, and narrated by Jack Luna and produced by me, the operator. Subscribe to Crime Machine wherever you consume your podcasts and remember to tell everyone what you heard here today. Do you love us or wanting to hear more Crime Machine than everyone else? You can support Crime Machine on Patreon. Become a member by searching for Crime Machine on Patreon or by going to patreon.com or slash crime machine.